You guys are ready. This is a quick hello. Um, we are going to be in John chapter 16. We're going to continue our series through the book of John. We are going scripture by scripture, uh, studying, and we're going to close out the rest of chapter 16. So please turn to chapter 16, and we're going to start in verse 16. And as you are turning there, I'm just going to kind of recap where we are at in the Bible, and then we are also going to just kind of discuss a little bit of two sides of the coin here. We're going to discuss the disciples and Jesus. So Jesus has taken our disciples through uh, the night of the Last Supper. And so you guys know Jesus Christ has completely ceased his public ministry and has withdrawn from being out in public and teaching and is now spending time with just his disciples. That's it. And in this time, I want to let you know how important John thought this was. About one-third of the book of John has been dedicated to one night. Just think of that. Three and a half years fits in the other two-thirds of the book of John. And one-third, you can see how many pearls of wisdom and how many nuggets of goodness that Jesus is putting out in one particular night. And so you can see why this is important, because Jesus Christ is going to be rested in a few hours. And then after he's arrested, he's going to be sent to prison and beaten, and then he'll be murdered. And he knows this. And as you guys can understand that there is a, an edge to Jesus you would absolutely know it by the time he got to the Garden of Gethsemane. In this particular verse, he's walking with the disciples in the middle of the night from the room that they had the Last Supper, and they're going over to the Garden of Gethsemane. When he would get to the Garden of Gethsemane, he would be so nervous he would sweat blood. I've had some pretty rough nights. I've been nervous. I've been not able to even eat, but I've never been so on edge that I sweat blood. So you can see that it doesn't just come easy to Christ the man. And I want to let you know this, in this particular moment, what has Christ been doing? He's been comforting the disciples the whole way. The same disciples that would abandon him, the same disciples that would not understand what he's saying, the same disciples that would just kind of give him a hard time. And what is he doing? He stays on a connection with them, saying, no matter what you are doing, this is what I'm going to do. I'm on the way to pay for your sins. But in the meantime, while you don't understand, I'm going to just keep comforting, pouring out compassion, and loving you. So uh, with no further ado, um, I want you to see, and I want you to compare this too when we go to verse 16, how this applies to our life today. Verse 16, join with me. Jesus went on to say, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And at this, some of his disciples said to one another, one another what does he mean by saying, in a little while, you'll see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. So you can see now we're minus Judas. We're down to the 11 disciples. These 11 have a lot of confusion. But I want to put you in good company because have you ever been in this situation? Have you ever read a Bible verse or have you ever gone through something and go, what is Jesus doing right now? Well, just to let you know, um, you're in really great company because these disciples have had the best teacher in the planet. Would you agree? Jesus Christ. He has given them a direct connection to the Lord by giving them all the pearls of wisdom that he has, right? But greatest the theologian ever. And he has just, so you know, point blank come up to them and said, hey guys, for the last six months, we're on our way to Jerusalem. When we get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to go in the ground. I'm going to die for three days and then I'm going to be resurrected. And he's telling them this right now and they're going, we don't get it. We don't get it. I don't think you can get any more plain than this, but just so you know, I've had some days where I've been like, I don't know if I'm cut out for this Christian thing because I don't get this verse, but it's still yet the Lord moves forward in a gentle way. He doesn't go, you know what? 
You guys are the worst. I mean, I, I, need, I need some star pupils. Where are my 4.0 graduates? No, he chooses us. But there's some huge mistake that we make daily. How long have you been struggling with what the Lord does and you ask everybody else but Jesus? The one that not only has all the answers, but has all the good answers. And I want you to see how Jesus keys in on them. Listen to how gentle he is here in verse 19. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, were you paying attention for the last six months, you fruitcakes? Does he say that? No, 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 he doesn't say that at all. He says, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more? And then after a little while you will see me. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And so he's setting them up with a realistic expectation, is he not? He's not putting a mystery in front of them. He's not going to give them false expectations. He says, you're going to suffer. No, make no mistake, you are going to lose your shepherd for a little while. But through this, you're going to see something on the other side, and it's going to bring something not out in just in the world, but in you. And seeing that they're struggling, he's saying, you know, he's definitely referring to the cross, his burial, and his resurrection. We know that in hindsight, that's what we know he's talking about. But he goes on to give them a further illustration. And I want you to think how awesome this. When I'm thinking, when I'm on edge, when I'm struggling with what's going on, I don't think, let me, let me see how I can explain it to this person who doesn't understand. But look at how gentle he is. Verse 21. He says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice. And look at this last part. And no one will take away your joy. Isn't that sound a lot like Christians today when you say, you know, Lord, I don't understand what's going on. And the Lord goes, doesn't matter if you understand. I'm going to produce in you something amazing that on the other side of this crisis, you will be stronger. You will be richer in love and grace and mercy because you will rely on me more. Sometimes we can't see it, but to thank the Lord, he sees it. But also, too, I love the, how he brings out an illustration. Um, I had the opportunity. And by the way, I struggle anytime any guy in the Bible, including, including Jesus, tries to say, compare something to the, a birth. You know, When I had the opportunity to watch Jackie uh, give birth to our two children, it was amazing. But you know, like there I am trying to help my wife, and I'm, I don't know, I'm like, well, honey, I had a migraine once. You know, so I kind of understand what you're going through right now. And she's yelling and throwing things, you know. And I'm like, okay, so that's what it is. So you can see men in the Bible use this, uh, this uh, analogy a lot, but it's for a good purpose. I'll let you know, when, when we went to the uh, hospital for the first time, Jackie, my wife, went into labor for 23 hours. And so I had a lot of time where the nurse looked at me and goes, you've just been doing nothing but standing here. Can I interest you with a refrigerator down the hall with snacks? And I was like, you're just now telling me? So I make my way down to the refrigerator, and I got to the refrigerator, and I started pulling out all these snacks, and they brought a lady out of the elevator right by that where the snacks were, and right into a room, and I guess she was giving birth um, very soon, and so they didn't even shut the door. It was just like a real fast motion, and I turned, and I, it scared me because I'm... I have jello pudding snacks and string cheese, and I'm ready for the long haul because I'm such a sympathetic husband, so I'm coming back. And uh, she's just yelling, and she is screaming, and I'm like, oh, this is what it's like. 
And then she just was like, it was like a blood-curdling scream right there at the end. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, what is she giving birth to, a small giraffe? I mean, I don't understand what is going on in that room that she's yelling like that. And I remember after all that screaming, there was silence. And then there was a baby crying. And I'm pretty sure that they put that baby, you know, on her chest so she can hold. And I'll never forget what she said. That was awesome. And I think to myself, what is she talking about? She must be delusional. If she heard what I heard, which came from her mouth, how can it be awesome? But that, no doubt, is part of what the Lord is saying. You know, Jesus Christ grew up in a Middle Eastern home, and it's not like our homes today. Uh, The living room, the kitchen, the fireplace, it was all in one room, right? And when Mary gave birth, she gave birth there. And so Jesus, no doubt, was sitting there and probably assisting maybe midwives or even Joseph in that time. And he watched as Mary gave birth to his brothers and sisters. And she went through suffering and she went through turmoil. And then he probably saw the look on her face when, you know, her brother, when his brother, his sister came out and they put it on Mary's chest and he saw the look on her face. I was so blown away when Jackie turned to me after our first baby and said, let's have another baby. And I was like, are you for real? I was there. But that's, what the, that's biblical, and that's what Jesus is saying. You are going to go through a time where you're suffering, and that's what the Lord's going to show you is that even though we will have trouble and even though we will suffer, on the other side, there is a promise of God that eclipses whatever you went through to the point that you won't even wonder or remember what you went through. You'll just be looking for, and the next time you go into a storm, what's God going to do on the other side? You're no longer looking at the storm. You're looking at the God of the storm to release a new gift, a new privilege, a new promise. And that's going to change the entire world of the disciples. But I want to remind you that even though there's all these promises coming through, he has to set this up to a backdrop of grieving. He has to do this against the backdrop of fear and death because they know they're going to lose their Jesus Christ, but something beautiful is going to come. And I want to just put this first slide up to set the pace for us. No one can take our joy because Christ has resurrected our hearts into him. This is the thing that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about if you stop looking at your condition, if you stop looking at your situation and raise your eyes to the level of Jesus Christ, you will no longer just have the short-sighted view, but you'll have a long view. And then through that long view, you'll go, what is, it's not what's happening today. What is God doing? And this would go ahead and change the hearts of the disciples. How do we know? They no longer had the old heart. They no longer had a heart of fear. They would go further into the book of Acts, and they would stand and say, judge for what you want to judge. But you know what we're going to be judged by? Jesus Christ. I stand on the confession that Jesus Christ is my Savior. So no longer are they the scared little disciples that will run. There will be ones that will stand boldly in front of a hostile crowd and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, receive this gift, the gift that has saved us. And I want you to think about what he's saying to them in this, in this verse that we're studying right here. He's saying, no one will take away our joy. Who's going to wrestle away the gifts of God away from God? Can you? Can Satan? Can Satan undo what God has done? What is done is what is done through Jesus Christ who has spoken it. Think about this. Can any one person put Jesus Christ back in the tomb? No. His resurrection is his eternal commitment to our eternal joy. And now that I face something, a crisis in my time, that's what I go to. I don't look at the situation and go, geez, I just got off the phone with the doctor. That's terrible. I go, wait a minute. Is Jesus Christ still sitting on the throne in my heart? Yes, he is. Amen. 
All the finances go away. Is Jesus Christ still sitting on the throne of my heart? Yes, he is. Amen. I'm not sitting in my joy. I'm sitting in his joy. And I have not begun to see yet what he's about to do. And just think about this. This is the place where we find inexpressible joy, as the Bible will say, because what's the worst thing that can happen to you as a person? Once you've lost your life, there's nothing. It's gone. And Jesus has conquered that. Jesus has conquered the very thing that should end you, and now he owns it. He has a power not over just life, but death itself. And he sits on a throne in your heart, and he dictates internally and externally what is happening with you. But the Lord is not going to sugarcoat it. He's going to say, you will have troubles. You're going to have problems. It's going to happen. We live in a Genesis 3 lost and dying world. This world is falling apart. And he's not going to lie to you. That's why Paul would go on. Here's another guy, by the way, another guy talking about labor. Here we go. Galatians chapter 4, 19. He would say this, My dear children, for who I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. What is he talking about? He's talking about there is always going to be a natural tension between you and this world. And there should be. Because I want to remind you, once you know about Jesus Christ, you realize this. You were not made for this world. Amen. Just think about that. You, this is not your home. What kind of life were you made for? Look at the Garden of Eden. You were made for no tears. You were not made for death. You were made to walk eternally in the sunshine of Jesus Christ directly. And if you have a question or a concern or a problem, you turn and you face him directly and say, Lord, let's talk about it. And he goes, I'm so glad you asked. And right now, we might not see him face to face, but we are being prepared for that eternal glory, which is why the Lord is saying this, and Paul is saying this, this is our daily experience as a Christ follower. We're not expected to be 100% awesome right out the gate as a Christian. The Bible doesn't say you became a Christian and you won the lottery. You became a Christian and the Lord showed up with his fleet of Lamborghinis. No, that's not how this went. It's not sunshine and roses. What it came into is you, look at the bottom note here, the daily experience of the Christ follower, watching temporary sadness give way to eternal gladness. I don't have enough time today to tell you all the times that I've shed tears that Jesus Christ blessed me on the other side, and I didn't thank him for what he did. I thanked him for who he was, because more and more as I learned more about God's heart for me, as he blessed me, I realized he was blessing me in spite of me. He was blessing me regardless of my performance. He was blessing me because of who he is. And in fact, he would go on to say, just to show you the gentle nature of our Lord's heart, in Hosea 11.4, it says this, I led them with cords of human kindness. Think about this. Jesus, or sorry, the Lord is talking about a rebellious nation of Israel who is not listening to him. He's giving them instruction, and they're failing to follow him, right? And what does he say? I led them with cords of human kindness and with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. You know, every time um, we could look at the Lord and say, you know, I've maybe messed up. And maybe every time I failed the Lord, or I rebelled this week, or I didn't do a good job, if you want to know if you're being punished by the Lord, you're not. You have to look no further than the cross to see what your true punishment looks like. Jesus paid for that punishment. But what he's describing in the book of Hosea is, think of it like a silk rope. That's kind of like what the translation's actually being. The Lord is putting a silk rope over you. And you're trying to fight against him. Lord, I don't want to go that way. I don't understand. I'm panicking. I'm freaking out. And he goes, no, 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 no. 
I'm just going to put this gentle rope around you, and I'm going to pull you forward. Where am I pulling you forward? One, towards me, and two, towards heaven. Right now, you're not ready for heaven, but you are being prepared for heaven. And you are fighting me because you don't understand, because you can't see further than your grief. But if I could pull you to a new point of view, I'll gently do it. Just think about that. There's no whiplash involved. There's no, hey, you idiot, or are you paying attention? It's a gentle cord of love, and he gently pulls you forward. And regardless of your understanding and regardless of how good you're doing, I remember um, Jackie and I went to Disney once, and there was a mom who had a leash around her, uh, her wrist, and she had that cord, you know, that cur- like curly cord, and it was around a kid. And this kid was running all which ways and that. And I remember Jackie and I were just looking at this kid, and he saw Mickey running into a store. So what did he do? He ran into the store, and the mom said, no. I said, don't go. And he went, I see Mickey. And he just ran, and she yanked him back. And I'll never forget, because I was in front of the kid, and he made eye contact with me, and he was like, whoa, everything's changed. And he just disappeared. He just, like, disappeared out of the store and went over to his mom. And I'll never forget, thank the Lord that the Lord never whips me around like that for all of my mistakes. I probably wouldn't be up here in the pulpit. I'd probably be at the chiropractor right now. And I want to let you know, as you continue in your relationship, that's what the Lord is working on. He's not saying, I need you to hit an A+. What I need you to do is rest, find me, and find my joy. Look at verse 23. He not only promises joy, he says this, In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father, I will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Your joy will be complete. Now, I just want to put this in a point of view so you guys can understand what the Lord is saying. Up until Jesus Christ, up until the Lord coming into your life, your joy has not been complete. And that could be a reason why we carry on the way that we carry on, right? Or we struggle with our problems the way that we struggle because our joy has not been made whole or complete inside of Jesus Christ. And inside of this, Jesus is going to change the the narrative completely. He's going to move not only from the guy that's in front of him. Remember, when they needed to know something, Jesus was right there, right? Jesus left heaven, came and visited with them. And if they had a question about their walk with the Lord, all they had to do was turn and go, Jesus, what about this? Or I tried to do this in your name and it didn't work. Can you explain to me why it didn't work? And he was right there. But the Lord makes a total different shift and you have to understand how huge this is. Up until this point, the Father, God in heaven for the Jewish person was completely unapproachable. You have text after text of the Old Testament for a Jewish person to know, I cannot approach the throne of God on my own. In fact, it would go like this as we're going through the book of Exodus, if you can remember, on Wednesdays, when God settled on the Mount Sinai, people couldn't even touch the mountain lest they die. That's not even God himself. That's the mountain that God's sitting on. And if they go to that God and they touch that mountain, thinking, maybe I'll go up there with Moses, they'll die. Just like that. Why? Because there has been a moment that has been severed for us since Adam and Eve have sinned. And God still wants to be with us, but we are unholy. And so God is not saying to his people, I don't want to be with you because you're just dirty. He says, I can't be with you because if you approach me now in your current state, you will die, and I don't want that. Ergo, I will send in Jesus. 
Think about all the moments up until this time that they watched priests commit all those sacrifices on the ramp up to the altar. Your sin, you bring the lamb. I've sinned a lot this year. Here's the lamb. And this poor, innocent lamb has to shed its blood all over the ramp. And then the priest goes and takes that atonement, sprinkles it. Now he goes and washes, and he goes into the Holy of Holies. Dare I not go into the Holy of Holies? Not you. Somebody else has to go. And what did Jesus say just now? No longer will you go to me. You're going to go direct to the Father. And just so you know, this is still an appropriate rule, not in the Old Testament, in the New Testament too. Look what Paul would say, 1 Timothy chapter 6, at the end of verse 15 through 16, on the screen he says, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be the honor and might forever. Amen. And just so you guys know, Paul, the author of this book, was a rabbi, trained as a rabbi, right? He had had all the working knowledge of the Old Testament. And he's living in the New Testament. He's already given his heart to the Lord. But he's saying, we don't have that kind of access. In fact, I can imagine him thinking, even when you have a good heart and a good intention, if you remember the story of Uzzah, which is one of David's men in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel, they were bringing the, the, the uh, Ark of the Covenant from one place to another. And David's out front, and he's dancing and having a good time. He's excited, right? And the ox stumbled. And it doesn't say that the cart fell. It doesn't say that the ark fell. It just says the ox stumbled, and Uzzah ran up there and put his hand out. And if you guys know, the Lord said, you can't touch the Ark of the Covenant because you're unholy, and the ark is where I sit. You are not holy. You cannot touch what is holy, and you will die. And Uzzah had good intentions, Right? I don't want to be the guy that dropped the, the Ark of the Covenant. And so that in the Old Testament, it could say, you know, Uzzah was the one who just wasn't paying attention. He was on his phone. He was playing Candy Crush, and the Ark fell. And because of Uzzah, no, no, no. So he put his hand out, and he stopped it. He goes, not the Ark. But what happened? He died. And he died because God is unapproachable. And this is the very thing that Paul is writing about. But Jesus says there is a shift there's a total and complete shift. What was the Old Testament is no longer. And what is even included in the New Testament is going to usher in this idea. You have direct access. Look at verse 25. He's going to go on and say this. Though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name, I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you. I'm going to say that one more time. Verse 27. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I, have come from, I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. This is so rich because I want to let you know what's going on. He's specifically saying something that is so unique that he's been touching on all through the book of John. You with your Old Testament thinking, you think it's been blood of lambs, you think it's been this gross and bloody mess. Well, it's going to be a gross and bloody mess on the cross, but once I do that, it's over. And once you've entered into that atonement, that atonement has paid for everything. The sins that you've already happened, the sins that are happening today, the sins you'll do on the way when you get there and you find out the restaurant is packed. And you're like, oh my goodness, we should have made reservations. And even the sins of the future, that will be paid for. All because of one atonement for Christ, but the Lord is saying this, I will give this to you and you will no longer have to worry because you know why? 
Your heart will align with the Lord because the moment that you receive me, you have realized something. I am unholy. I've been made holy through Christ Jesus because the Lord, the Lord loved me so much. I know sometimes I think about this some way. I don't know if you guys struggle. This is my uh, instant struggle. As soon as something goes wrong with my life, I think, man, God must be really upset with me right now. And it's just a quick impulse that I have, or I've, God has abandoned me. And then sometimes I feel like I pray to Jesus in the name of Jesus, and Jesus is like walking into the throne room of God and being like, I know, I know. I watched Joey do it. He did it again. I know, and you're really upset. Put down the lightning bolt, God. Just, I'm really, really sorry. I'll get my mop in my bucket. I'll go take care of it. I got Joey. But this Bible verse says just the opposite. This Bible verse says just the opposite. It says, the only reason that I am worthy is because God loved me so much, he sent Jesus to become my substitute. He sent Jesus because he said, you know what? You were unholy. I want to make you holy. And so you know what? I will pay the price. In fact, I want you to think about this. You are the most expensive thing in the universe because you were paid for by Christ's blood. There is no turmoil in the Trinity. There is unity. And they have all decided after they got together is they want to do life with you forever. And just think about that. They decided that with your best day in mind and your worst day in mind. If you could sit and think about it, and I'm sure it comes rushing to the front of your memory, you wouldn't even choose you on your worst day. So many times I've looked in the mirror and go, you're the worst. And yet Christ would go, but that's the guy I would pay for. That's the guy I want to use. That's the guy I want to put my Holy Spirit And why do I have this access and permission? That's why we can pray in the name of Jesus. It isn't something special that we can just say anything in the name of Jesus. But more importantly, it looks like this. So we go to the zoo a lot up in Brevard, and they just opened up a Costco down the street. So we kind of make it a day. We go to the zoo, and then we go to the Costco. And one time we were in there, and uh, we, Jackie was like, it's really freezing in here. Can you go outside and give me a jacket? So I ran outside, and I ran back in. This lady was like, excuse me, sir. (laughs) No, sir. Let me see your uh, identification. Let me see your membership card, right? You see one of those? And if you ever uh, have the opportunity, it's great because they make you appreciate your driver's license. They take a picture of you so ugly that you can't even fathom that you even look like that. I pick it up and I go, I really love my driver's license now. I look like a potato. What kind of lens do you have in there? I've never been more hideous in my life. And so you hold this thing, and you just, ugh, and you look at it, and she goes, sir, I need to see your membership card, and I pull it out, and she goes, no, sir, that's your Winn-Dixie card. I'm like, okay, put that back in. I pull out my Sam's card and show it to her, and she's like, no, sir. I go, what do I got to do? She goes, give me your Sam's card, and I'm like, oh, duh, here's my Sam, or sorry, my Costco card, and I hand her my Costco card. She goes, okay, you can go in. I just think about right now, if you were being ushered into the throne room of God, would you want to go without Jesus Christ? That's what you're saying in the name of Jesus. There is a unity in here that we can only have that has come by the way that Jesus has brought. I will let you know, if the world was ending right now and they were like, any one of you, the Lord will see you right now, wouldn't the first thing you'd be doing is like, okay, I see the doors to the throne room opening up. Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? I will not step foot without him. And then when we go in, I'm pretty sure I would stand like this behind him and be like, hi, I'm here. Jesus said I could be here. That's how I would go. Why? Because I know the love of the Lord. But that's not the case. The Lord said, I called you through Jesus Christ. So now when we come to the prayer time, we don't have to worry what God's heart is for us. We already know. When I come to this prayer with humility, I don't deserve to be here. With boldness, you invited me. How do I know you've invited me? Jesus Christ. In fact, look at John 14 on the screen. We've already touched on this, and Jesus is connecting the dots for them. 
He says, and Jesus replied to them, anyone who loves me will be obeying my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to who? The father who sent me. So God has always been on point saying, I want to be with you. Ever since the Garden of Eden, he said, I want to be with you. But there's a problem. You're not holy, so I made it a plan for that. I put Jesus Christ on the cross. I paid for it. So what's the hesitation? What's the excuse? Think of how much of your life, think of how much of your Christian walk would be different if you weren't struggling, wondering if God loves you. The moment, the moment something bad happens, then my first impulse is God has abandoned me. But think of how awesome it would be if the moment something bad happened to me and I go, but I can't wait to see what the Lord's going to do on the other side. No, I got to take, now it takes a lot less. It used to take me weeks, then days. Now it takes me minutes. I can go to the other room and go, Lord, I have no idea what your plan is. This is, this is wacky new new. But I understand that on the other side, on the other side, there is something great that you have for me. It doesn't matter if I see it, you see it. Why do I trust that? Because I know how much God loves me. And there is a unity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have come here. Think about this. Who are you to be a home for God? Who are you to be a home for the Father God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Yet if you were somebody that was cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, then you've been made whole. And now you are the living temple of God. And that's what the Lord is saying. I want to give you liberty. I want to give you freedom. I want to give you access And you can no doubt see that the disciples might be going, you know what, I'm really, really scared of this moment. The God that was unapproachable, you're saying is now approachable? Look at verse 27 one more time. No, the Father himself loves you. The only reason Jesus is here on earth is because God loves you. The only reason why Jesus shed his blood is because God loves you. The only reason that we're in this church service right now receiving the good gifts of God is because God loves you. And that's an amazing thought because the once closed door of holiness has been swung wide open. And why is it wide open now? God loves you. You didn't have access. I needed you to have access. Here's your access. Step through the veil. What is the veil? Jesus Christ died on the cross. And if you guys don't know, there was a huge curtain that was between the priests and the Holy of Holies. And the moment his blood atoned for our sin, the veil ripped. And what happened? Come on into the throne room. Let's be together forever. Look at verse 29. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. I don't know if you picked it up when I read it. I picked it up. I'm not asking this guy any more questions because he's getting crazy. He just said the Spirit of the Lord is coming to us. Maybe they're ending the conversation, maybe they're not, but they sound like, okay, that's enough for tonight, Jesus. That's what I hear a little bit in there. But look at verse 31. He challenges them. Do you now believe? Question mark. Look at what his response is after that. A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will all be scattered, each to your own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. You know, Christ is saying here, Knowing is not enough. Sitting in church, holding a Bible in your hand is not enough. You have to believe. Do you believe? 
Just think about this. On the way to see Lazarus, part of the reason the disciples were on edge in that moment is they knew that the Pharisees there were very upset with Jesus and that they were planning to kill him. So when they were going to go see Lazarus, they were like, I guess we'll go die with you. Where's that spirit now? The very guy that God is comforting is the guy that's going to run and leave him. Let me ask you this. How close of a friendship would you have with somebody if you knew they were going to abandon you at your worst hour? And yet, what does Jesus do? What is Jesus pouring out? Comfort after comfort. Compassion after compassion. Pearl of wisdom after pearl of wisdom. Name a thing that Christ has not given them. And yet, I would also let you know, knowing that they're going to rebel, knowing they're going to abandon him, does Christ go, you know what? I give up. These guys are the worst. You know what? Like, give me, can you give me like, like maybe 12 more Jewish 4.0 students? Can you give me somebody with awards? And No, no, no. He looks at them and he goes, you know what? Even though you're abandoning me today, you know what I see? I see me in your heart. And you know what I see me in your heart? You know what I see? The pillars of the church. I see young men that will stand up in the face of persecution and preach the word. And some of them would get stoned. And they would go, you know what? Whatever. I'm still preaching the word. And some of them would be thrown in prison and beaten. And they would sing the name of the Lord. And some of them would have a spear driven through them. And they would still be preaching the whole time. Why? Because they have a new lease on life. The moment that Jesus Christ would leave the tomb, the Lord knows that not only their relationship with the Lord would change, their whole world would change. Not just how I see Jesus Christ is going to change. I'm connected to him, and he's connected to me, and he's called me into a life of resurrection. And you know what? No one can steal my joy. I have liberty, freedom, and access to the Lord. And furthermore, I'm standing here because of love, because God loved me. God chose me. And so that brings up our next point. Christ's victory is found not in what we do, but what he does in us. Think about it. Peter mouths off all the time. You wouldn't want to ask him advice for anything. And yet he becomes the rock in which the church builds, Christ builds his church on his confession. Doubting Thomas, do I have to say any more? He doubts everything. The only truth in the world that we know, Jesus. And yet he would become the greatest missionary at that time sent to India. Amazing. John would write the, like, portions of the Bible and see the revelation, right? Everything in this moment, all the guys that he would abandon, and God looks at you. Aren't you glad? He looks at you and doesn't stop at what he sees. He looks at you and sees what he can do when he gets a hold of your heart. And he also looks at you and sees what you can do when your heart submits. The victory looks like this. There is a transformation that is not only taking place, but it is continually taking place. It's simple. There is tragedy and there is crisis in the world. And just think about this. We will overcome it through the victory that we have in Jesus Christ And the only thing that we need to know is that Jesus loves us. Imagine me just saying to you right now that God does not love you. How does that change your world? And then switching it over immediately, because that's not a thought I like to live with very long. Just switching over, God absolutely loves you to the point that he went to the cross and died for you. And then on top of that, wants you to bear his name. You don't have to be a prophet. You don't have to be a Bible professor. You just have to simply receive what? The love of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. 
There's a couple of things here that you need to see. Notice there's two affirmations and one offer. So the first is he does promise that we'll have trouble. Can we all agree we've had trouble? Right. <clears throat> he also gives you an assurance. I have overcome the world. Not will overcome the world. Have overcome the world. Past tense. It's done. It's been taken care of. But look at the offer that's sandwiched in the middle. You may have peace. You know what that says there? That's conditional on you. You're going to have trouble. I've overcome the world. It's up to you to receive the peace. You know, it's, it's very interesting how many times that the Lord has offered me peace and I've been stuck with my fear and my imagination trying to figure out my relationship with the Lord going, why is this happening? I must just not be as good of a Christian as Pastor Craig who receives all the blessings. He must just be such a great Christian. Pastor Ryan, so blessed everywhere he goes. But me, I must be suffering because I stink. And the Lord is saying, no, 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 no. Make no mistake. Everyone is going to have trouble. Go back two years ago. Has everybody had trouble? Right. But has Christ overcome the world? But it's up to me to have the revelation and the realization that Christ has given me a gift that I have not earned. And there's so many Christians that are maybe even in this room right now that are struggling with the receiving of that gift because somewhere along the line you think it's up to you, but it's not up to you. Imagine if I went to the store and I purchased an amazing gift specifically for you and I walked in this room and handed it to you and you slapped it out of my hand and you said, I'm not worthy. And I'm like, no, duh. I didn't really think about that. When you're like, well, I don't know if, I, if, if it's the right thing for you to give it to me. It's like, it's not up to you. Out of the goodness of my heart, I saw that you had a need I went to the store and filled that need, and I paid that price. And then I gave it to you, and how were you to slap it out of my hand? In fact, I think that's downright rude. You know, I think that there's a time and a place where we could look at our hearts and our minds and say, the reason that we act like that towards God is because we can't see the end. The disciples couldn't see the end. How much of your life would change if the tension towards the end were to change for you, if you already knew how this was going to end? In fact, I have a really amazing, amazing illustration. Uh, one time I came home, and everything I'm telling you right now is probably not biblical, but stay with me. It's just to show you where I was at. I came home, and I was watching the Miami Dolphins on our big screen TV, and this isn't, this, don't do this, but this is how I feel. If I stand directly in front of the TV and pray the whole time, the Dolphins will win. It's never been proven to be true, but I'd be called to do it, okay? That's my lot in life. You suffer in your ways, right? So I stand in front of the, 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 the TV and I pray, and then during a commercial break, I went out to the garage to grab something, and I hear a hissing at the tire, and I'm like, oh gosh, what's this? And I see this giant nail stuck in the tire, and it's hissing really bad, and I'm like, oh, but the Dolphins really need me. And Jackie comes out and goes, look, don't be a weirdo. Just go get the tire replaced. It's going to be flat by the time the game is in. And I'm like, but, but this is the end of the game. They're going back and forth. And she goes, go to Sam's. I go, you're always right about everything, of course. I'll go in Sam's. So I jump in the car, and I race over to Sam's with this thing hissing. My tire's dropping down. I pull into Sam's. I go, I got to get replaced the tire. They go, go ahead. Go ahead and sit in the lobby. I walk in the lobby. What's there? A big screen TV. I go, God, you are real. This is happening. This is happening right now. And I run in front of the TV. I change the channel. And I put a dolphin game and I start praying. Everybody else is not caring. They're just looking at this weirdo praying to God about the Miami Dolphins, who we know is going to inevitably lose, right? Because that's, that's what we do. And so I, I start praying, and there's this Japanese man that's sitting right here who's from Japan, doesn't know anything about football. And he just says to me, his name's Paul. We introduced him. He goes, what are you doing? I go, 
I'm praying to God. It's not biblical. Don't listen to me. I'm just trying to make the Dolphins win. And he's like, well, no, this is crazy. He asks about the game. What's going on? I go, the Patriots just scored. They went up by a touchdown. There's seven seconds left. They need me. If, we, if I don't pray, we're going to lose. So I start praying and praying. And he goes, you know what? You're a little too tense. Why don't you come sit down? I think what Paul, the Japanese man, said is that you're a little too tense for me. I need you to sit down because you're freaking me out right now. He goes to me, you know, it's just a game. I'm like, Paul, you don't understand. Dolphins is life. What are you talking about? Just stay out of this. You don't even understand what's going on. And he goes, no, seriously. He goes, just come back and relax and watch. How much different of a game would that have been for me had I known the end? How much more relaxed would I be? How much more relaxed would I be for everybody in the situation if I knew the end? And I want to let you know who here knows that Jesus Christ has the victory. Who here knows that Jesus Christ has already done the heavy lifting and the hard work, and we know he has won, but yet we still struggle, don't we? Which brings me to my next point. I might not always understand God, but I am so glad that he understands me. You know, the disciples would bank, they would run, they would hide, they would abandon the ministry, and yet isn't it amazing that Jesus Christ understood them so much that he was giving them the play-by-play of the change of the future. You're going to suffer. And then after your grief, there's going to come a new birth, and that new birth is going to bring unexpressible joy, inexpressible joy that you cannot believe. I will conquer not only sin, I will conquer death. I didn't conquer Rome. I conquered you. You're going to fail me. You're going to abandon me. And you know what my word is to you? Come on right back to me. I love you. Don't isolate. Don't run. Don't hide. Come right to me. Don't fear me. Take heart. I have overcome everything that you will ever face. I am it. You can rely fully on me. And how can you trust me? I am the Lord your God. Just think about this. Peter was in a boat with the other disciples, sent out into the storm. And the very thing that was meant to kill them and destroy them, the waves and the, and the wind and the water falling and everything, and they're exhausted and they're about to go down and they're going, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen. I don't think we're going to make it through this night. And Jesus shows up on that very moment, on the waves that should have killed them and said, be of good cheer, I'm here. The crisis that you're in right now is the very stage for him to announce to you that he is your good Messiah. And you might not understand the situation, but guess what? I have a God that understands me, and he's ministering to me. So even as I'm failing him, he's saying, take heart. And even though I'm abandoning him, he's saying, come close. And even though I'm just like, you know what? I'm not even good at this Christian thing. He goes, I'll be good enough for you. And he stands on that, and you know what, what Peter did? Peter did something amazing, didn't he? He stepped out of the boat. And he stood there with Jesus Christ. And he didn't know how it ends, but he knows that Jesus knows how it ends. And so he stands on the water. And what's the only thing that held Peter in place? It wasn't magic. It wasn't even his faith alone just by itself. It was the love of Jesus Christ. His faith in the love of Jesus Christ pulled him out of the boat. But what held him there? Because God chose him and God loved him. You are in a storm. You're in a crisis right now, but you will not drown. Because you stand in the wind and the waves with Jesus Christ. Which brings us to our last point. Our failure is not final because Christ has overcome the world in us. Rest in his joy. You know the reason that the joy cannot be stolen is because it's his. It's bigger than anything we've faced. For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. Just think about this. Let's put a different spin on that verse. 
before the joy, the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross for you because he saw your life and he saw what you were without him and then he saw what you were with him. And he said, I will not give up. I will never give up on my love for my people in this room today. So if you are in this room right now and you are struggling with a storm, please come to Christ and find that rest. If you've failed God, run home. Just think about this. This world is not our home. But this isn't our final spot. We are passing through. And Christ is calling you home. And in the meantime, let Christ make a home in your heart. And just think about this. If there is a part of you that you do not love, that you do not like bringing to the Lord, he has asked you specifically to bring that part to him because he says, I've overcome the world, but I've not only overcome the world, I've overcome the world in you. I've overcome every single part of you. So let's take a moment and let's just pray to this God who has been so amazing to us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you and I praise you that you are good. I just thank you that you are comforting people right now. Maybe people that haven't lived wholly for you. Maybe they're currently struggling with sin or maybe they're fighting fear. Maybe they love you completely, but they just have not given over their, their hearts because it's racked with doubt. Today is that day that we can say, Lord, we can see that you are good. The Father has loved us. The Father continues to love us. The Father has come here to make a home in our hearts, not because we are worthy, but because he is good. Lord, remove in us anything that would get in the way of our relationship and let us just rest in your, in your love. Let us rest in your compassion. Pull us forward with a silk rope into your freedom, into your liberty, into your affection. Let us not make it about us. Let's make it about you. Lord, I just say right now, if anybody here has just lost that heart, let them take heart in you. Let them receive what you have. Let's not slap the gift out of your hand. Let's just gently receive it. No, I'm not worthy, but today I receive it. Lord, forgive me of everything that I've been struggling with. It is now the time for me to realize that you are the great Messiah who has been sent by the Lord, and my heart is your throne, and it doesn't really matter. We'll make those changes. We'll move forward, but today is the day that I receive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.